Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter 2. We'll be looking at the first couple of verses here this morning. And what a joy and what a privilege it is to sing with God's people and be here. And I am thankful to the Lord, thankful to this church. I'm thankful for what God is doing and just amazing things. But the enemy's on the prowl, and we know that. And we're going to see that here in a moment. And really, the question for this morning is. You know, why bother trying? Um, you know, many of us have said that a lot, of, a lot of times, and I've said that in my life sometimes. You know, why bother trying? I mean, right now I'm on a, I'm on a diet. I'm trying the best I can. But in a month from now, we're going to Argentina. And I hate to tell you this, but the diet is off. And the diet is off for 10 days. And I am going to eat like an absolute pig. And I'm going to enjoy every crumb of it. And I'm going to eat, 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 eat. And I said to myself, why am I trying to lose now? Because it's only coming back when I go, to, when I go there. But you know what? We try. We, we struggle with it and we go through it and, and, and try to do things that we know are inevitable. We're going to fall. We're going to, we're going to do that. You know, here's a, here's a question for you. You know, if sin is a reality and it's impossible for me to live a sinless life, why bother trying to strive for holiness? I mean, think about that for a moment. I, I, we all sin. We all are going to fail. And yet God tells us to walk in the light. I mean, think about that for a moment. He tells us we got to give everything we got for as long as we got to walk in the light. Yet, we're all going to fail. We're all going to sin. And one way that we try to get out of that is reclassify or redefine sin so we don't call it what it is and we make it something else so we don't have to deal with it. But the reality is we're all going to sin. We're all going to fail. So why even bother? Let me give you some popular sayings here before we get into the text that Christians say, and I'm putting this in between quotation marks because you'll have a hard time finding them in the Bible, but maybe you'll find some of the truths of these sayings in the Bible. Look at this one. I like this one. God hates to sin, but loves the sinner. How many of you have heard that one before? God hates to sin, but loves the sinner. I used to have a professor go nuts with that statement. He goes, oh, really? Who goes to hell? We all sit there like, and he was one of those guys that would just stare at you after he said a statement. Oh, really? Who goes to hell? <laughs> okay. And then he would back off and go, okay, okay, okay. Think about that. Is there a truth to that? Yeah, there's a truth to that. But, but sometimes in the wrong context, we, we, how about this one? Oh, that's just the way God made me. You know, I, I do these things, but that's just the way God made me. I'm a sinner. God made me that way and he knew how I am, so that's the way he made me. How about this one? Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Anybody got a bumper sticker with that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they love this one. This is a good one, huh? Christians aren't. So, so you know what this is saying? Indirectly saying? Don't even try to fight sin. You're never going to be perfect. You're just forgiven, so just don't worry about it. There needs to be more to this phrase than just the phrase. How about this one? And I've used this one. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Amen? Is that true? You better believe it's true. But guess what? It's never an excuse to sin. In fact, we talked about the remedy for sin. If we sin, we know that we can ask for forgiveness. And praise God for that. That's a wonderful thing. 
How about this phrase that we use, and I don't have it down here. It's easier to ask for what? Forgiveness, Forgiveness than permission. permission. <laughs> and is it easier to ask for forgiveness than permission? You better believe it is. But that's not how we live. In fact, when we sin, it should cause us not only to ask for forgiveness, but to never want to do it again. We should hate it so much. I, 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 I don't like asking my kids this, but I ask them every now and then, so how was your father when you were younger? And they bring up some things that I did, and I did some dumb things as a father. I don't want to do that again. I probably will, but I don't want to. And, and we, when we sin, we don't, we don't want to go back into it. We want to ask for forgiveness and say, God, I hate that. I don't, I don't want to do that again. Forgiveness is not an excuse to sin. Forgiveness is when we forgive. We, we, we don't want to sin again. We want to avoid it. So let's look at John. This is, this is amazing. First John chapter 2. Look how he starts off this, this is amazing the passage here, these two verses here. He says here, my little children. Now, now, now don't miss this because he, he's talking with love here. This is pastoral. This is, this is like a parent would talk to a child. He's, John is getting older in life and he's looking at those who are with him and he says, my little children, he's saying, I, I love you. I, I care for you. I'm writing this out of care and out of love. Uh, it's one thing to preach because we love the Bible. It's another thing to preach because we love the people we're preaching to. And he loves the people he's writing to. He says, my little children, I'm, I'm writing you these out of a heart of love. We, we heard amazing messages this week, but the last message by Dr. Alex Montoya, I don't know how old he is, 107 or something. He's older, he's up there in the age, he's in his 70s. But anyway, the love that he preached with. What an amazing love. And here, here John is writing with love. He says, I'm, I, I love you guys. I, I, I want the best for you. I'm, I'm talking to you as a parent. Here's what I want you to do. Look at verse 1. I'm, I'm writing these things, and, and he's talking about chapter 1, the things that we looked at, that we ought to walk in light and not in darkness, how we ought to confess our sins and own up to our sins. He goes, I am writing these things, why? So that you may not, what? Sin. I don't want you to sin, he says. I want you to avoid it. I want you to hate it. In fact, Christians should hate it. I don't want you to continue to live in sin and make excuses for sins. I, I love you too much. You know why? Because what does sin do? Sin hinders our fellowship with God. And sin damages our relationships with one another. I, I don't want you to do that, he says. I love you too much. I, I'm writing these things so you, so you stay away from it. You avoid it. You hate it. But he's a realist. Look at the verse. He's not saying that we can be sinless. He's, he's urging us to be sin, to sin less. Do you see the difference? But, what's the realist here? If anyone what? Sins. <laughs> and he doesn't leave this open to debate. If anyone and everyone will what? Sin. Now, I've met old people who have sinned. I've met young people who have sinned. I've met spiritually mature people who have sinned. I've met spiritual immature people who have sinned. I've met elders who have sinned. I've met deacons. Let's talk about them for a while. I've met deacons that have sinned. Now, I love to pick on them, huh? I've met pastors. 
And I mean, you're looking at one of them, by the way. But one that got together with his with the church, the lady was playing the piano, left his kids, left the faith. I've met missionary. I, mean, I thought missionaries all love God. Watch out. Some blatant things. Treasurers who have robbed churches. You want me to keep going? We all sin. He knows that we're going to sin. He says, I, I'm, I'm writing these things because I want you to hate it and to avoid it, but you're gonna, it's going to happen. So what do you do? And, and, and here's the question I have. What happens when we sin? You ever wonder what happens the moment we sin? What exactly happens in heaven? What does the Father in heaven do? What does God the Father do the moment we sin? Is he up there with a lightning bolt just waiting for us to sin, to strike us down? Is, is he, does he hate us the moment we sin? Are, are we going to hell the moment we sin? What happens the moment we sin? You ever think about that? I mean, I know what happens to us. We feel guilty. We don't want to do it. But what actually happens to our relationship with God? The moment we sin, are we done for? Is it over with? Are we gone? Nope. Watch this. What happens when we sin? If anyone sins, here it is. We have a what? An advocate. I love this word. Don't ever miss what this word means. You ought to be thinking about this every day of your life. And especially when we sin, we ought to be thinking about what is this advocate? Let's look at the word. The word advocate is a parakletos in Greek. It's a paraclete. It only occurs five times in the New Testament. You say, why is that important? Well, four of the five talks about the Holy Spirit. Once talks about Jesus in this passage. The word means a helper, one who is called to come alongside in the time of what? Need. I love this. I was uh, a little runt in high school. A little runt with a big mouth. And I can get myself in trouble. I mean a lot of trouble. And we worked for CF Motor Freight. I'll never forget this. We are working for CF Motor Freight. And I'm, you know, and I, I got to check the drivers in and I'm, my mouth is going and remember the cartoon Beavis and Butthead? How many of you remember that one? Beavis and Butthead, right? <laughs> remember Beavis and Butthead? It was a very spiritual one. But, you know, the... <laughs> this guy starts calling me Beavis and Butthead. And I mean, he's getting relentless with it. Hey, Butthead, how you doing? Beavis and Butthead. Look at Beavis and Butthead. Hey, Beavis, you're a butthead. Wow. So I go home and I say, hey, Dad, you know so-and-so? I said, Dad... Um, so-and-so called me a butthead. And he goes, oh, really, Jamie? Thank you. The next day, I can't even make the, the next day, I, I go into work. And here's the guy calling me a butthead on the ground. And my father, call him a butthead again. Dad, let me see you do it again. Pounding on him. I said, Dad, I'm never telling you again when someone picks on me. Leave him alone. Just pounding him. Bam, 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 bam. Say something to my son again. Wow, did he defend me. No one could mess with me. Unbelievable. He was in my corner. Now, I don't want you to picture in heaven that Jesus is up there and Satan's up there and he's going, bam, 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 bam. That would be fun, right? That would be fun. But that's not happening. I'm going to show you what's happening here in a moment. 
But this is someone who comes alongside in the time of need. Now, I want you to understand this. We have two advocates, not one. Two of them. We have an advocate in our heart, the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. The one who comes alongside, who comforts us. He, he convicts us of our sin and he helps us to repent when we sin. We cannot live holy without the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he's always there in our hearts. He's an advocate. He comes alongside to help us in a time of need. And then we have an advocate in heaven. This is amazing. An advocate in heaven. So when we sin, who's right there with the Father helping us out. He's pleading our cause. Look at this in verse 1. It says, with the Father. He's always there. He's never an absent defense attorney. He's there. He's our spokesman. He speaks on our behalf. And he comes along and he pleads with the Father when we sin. You say, what does he plead? That's a great question. And I want to show you an example of this, of Jesus pleading. Turn with me, if you can, to Luke chapter 22, I think it is here. I don't know what verse it is. Let me see, Luke chapter 22. Um, and then we're going to come back to who this Jesus is. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. So I skipped a few slides there. We're going to go Luke 22. Verses 31 and 32. And I want to I want to show you this because we'll never appreciate our advocate until we understand our adversary. And look what the enemy is doing. Watch this. This is an amazing passage. Simon, who, who thinks he'll never, ever deny the Lord. In fact, in the verse after this, he said, I'll never deny you, but he does. Look, look what he says here. Jesus says to Simon. He goes, Simon, Simon, behold... Satan has demanded to what? Sift you like wheat. Now, that's an interesting phrase there. Because really what he's saying there is that Satan is, has demanded to what? To destroy you, to shake you up. That's what he does. He tries to shake us up, to destroy us, to, to discourage us, to help us to live in despair. Now, here's where this gets amazing, this passage. It says, Satan has demanded to sift who? You. It's not singular. It's plural. Satan wants all of you. He doesn't just want you, Peter. He wants all the disciples. Don't just think that Satan's after the pastor and you got to pray for the pastor and his family and all that. That's true. But know this. Satan is after you, too. Oh, he wants you. He wants to destroy you. He'll do everything he can to accuse you. And he wants to shake you up and cause you to be discouraged. The good news is he's got to ask for permission. The bad news is, is God gives it to him. He says, Satan has demanded to, to, to sift you like wheat. I, I think about this for a moment as a pastor, and I think about the people who, who uh, Satan has grabbed and unbelievable. I think about the young lady who recently I heard, she was in a Bible college. She left Bible college to go live with another girl and be a homosexual. I think of the family that said, you know what? We don't need church. We're fine without church and the people. We're fine. We're going to go to a cult. I think of the marriages that are being destroyed by Satan. 
I think of all the ways that Satan looks to destroy people. And he looks, and it says here, sift you like wheat. You say, what? what's the good news here? Look at verse 31 and 32. I love this, but here it is. But Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. Don't you love that? There's our advocate. I have prayed for you. Now, I wish that Jesus would pray some of the things that I want him to pray when Satan's attacking me. Like that Satan would leave me alone, you know, and I, I could just go on my life and I don't have to battle Satan anymore. But he doesn't pray that. He doesn't even pray that we come out without doing something wrong. That's what's amazing too. He says, I prayed for you. Here's what I'm praying for you. And this is how we have to understand the Lord is, is advocating for us. What is he praying for? He's praying that our faith may not what? Fail. Because if Satan could somehow cause us to no longer believe, we're doomed in hell. So he's praying that our faith will never fail. Here's what's amazing. <laughs> I look at Paul's life at the end of his life and he says, I kept the faith. We will never keep the faith without the prayers of Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord that he is praying for our faith not to collapse. And he knows how weak we are. Because look what he says here in verse 32. He says, and you, once you have returned again, turned again. See, Simon, you're going to fail, but you're going to come back. There's the good. He's not only praying that their faith won't fail. He's praying that to Simon to be restored. You're going to come back, Simon. I'm praying for you. You're going to be restored. You're going to, you're going to walk back. And we know this in, in, in Peter's life. He was restored and he did strengthen the brethren and preach an amazing message. But he says, I'm praying for you. Your faith will not collapse. But once you've turned again, you've come back. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to strengthen your brothers. You say, what is the Lord? How is he advocating for us in heaven? Look at this here. This is amazing. Jesus' defense guarantees a few things. It guarantees our forgiveness. It secures our restoration. And are you ready for this? It enables our future usefulness. You see, every time we sin, I could just see that devil coming to the throne and saying, Aha! I told you that person deserves hell. I told you that person would sin against you. I knew it. Look at that. Ha ha. What are you going to do? And the Lord says to the father, you're right. He's guilty. He is absolutely guilty. But I paid for all his sins. And he's okay. He's pleading for us. He guarantees our forgiveness. He secures our restoration. He enables our future usefulness. Now go back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Let me show you who this person is, our advocate with the Father. I love this here because he talks about who he is here. And this is amazing here. Who is this advocate with the Father? He gives him three titles here in verse 1. The first title, my, one of my favorite titles, his name is what? Jesus. What does that mean? That means that he, he was human here on this earth. He lived on this earth. He's real. He's not a ghost. He is Jesus. His name means what? Savior. He is Jesus. He is Christ. That's not his last name, by the way. He is the Christ. The anointed one. 
the chosen one. He is God. He's the Savior. He is God. And look what he is here. He is righteous. He is the only one that could ever be out of defense. I could go to your defense and say, Lord, oh, I hope you help so-and-so. They've sinned. Lord, look at me. You've sinned too. He can never say that about Jesus. Jesus never sinned. He was born sinless. He lived sinless. He died sinless. He rose again sinless. He's in heaven sinless. He is righteous. And here's what's wonderful about Jesus. He will always do the right thing. He will always plead for us. He is separate from us. He will plead for us. And here's where it gets amazing. Watch this. What's the basis of his plea? What's the power behind his plea? Here it is. Look at this. Verse 2. The basis of his advocacy. He himself is the what? Can you say that word? <laughs> say it ten times straight. <laughs> I remember one of my first Sunday school classes, the guy was teaching on this, and he just could not say the word. And he just kept saying, you know, Jesus, and he just, you know, it's a tough word. We don't use this every, every day in our lives. We don't go, hey, you know what? I, man, I'm so glad Jesus prayed for me. He's my propitiation. Want to know what it means? This is beautiful. Look at this definition. Chuck Swindoll, my good buddy. I only met him twice. Here it, it says this. The term propitiation can be defined as an offering that turns away or satisfies, look, the divine wrath against us. It's a wrath-satisfying sacrifice. Because we deserve the wrath of God. That's all we deserve. I mean, think about that. The next time you complain about something and we say, I'm better than I deserve, you know what that means? I'm better than going where I belong to go. We deserve the very wrath of God, but Jesus on the cross satisfied his wrath. You know, in Greek, in Greek literature, they would use this as of an angry wife, that a wife was mad, and the, and the husband would send flowers so she wouldn't be mad anymore. It really doesn't get this whole thing. What this means is that his wrath has been satisfied because the hell that we deserve, Jesus went through for us on the cross. He experienced it for us. Divine satisfaction. The holiness that turned his wrath away from us. Watch this. <laughs> but not only for us. Guess who this is for? For those of the whole world. Are you ready for this one? <laughs> I got to be careful, right? What does this whole world mean? And whenever you're studying a little phrase out, you know what you ought to do? You ought to look where the author has used this phrase in other places. That helps you understand it more. And John only uses the whole world one other time in the Bible. Are you ready for this? He uses it in 1 John 5.19. And when he uses it, the whole world, he's speaking of that. He says, we know that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And what he's talking about there, the whole world is, is obviously in 1 John 5.19. is speaking of all unsaved humanity. So if he uses it there as unsaved humanity, I believe, and you know, I may be wrong here, but I believe 
that the whole world here does refer to all unsaved human beings. Now watch out with that. Because it doesn't mean all unsaved human beings don't have to worry about the wrath of God. Because Jesus says this, look at this with me, John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but here it is, the wrath of God abides on him. So if we don't believe in Jesus, if we don't accept Jesus, if we don't put our faith alone in Jesus Christ for salvation, we will experience the wrath of God. Nobody likes to talk about the wrath of God too much. But let me tell you this. Praise God, because we have received Jesus, we will never experience the wrath of God. Because he's satisfied with the sacrifice of his son. But let me give a warning. That does nothing to you unless you put your faith in that. You can know about it all you want, but it does nothing Nothing unless we put our trust alone in the Son of God. You see that? The wrath of God abides on him who does not believe. And let me just say this, if I can say this nicely. This is the closest to heaven you'll ever be. There is something far worse coming that you don't want to experience. Except Jesus. Come to Christ. Don't just know about Him. Make Him your Savior. Come to Christ. Put your trust alone in Him. He died in your place so that you can accept Him. Are you ready for this? This is amazing. What happens when we sin? Here's what happens. The accuser comes and he says to the Father, you know what? This person deserves the pit of hell. He deserves your wrath. He deserves everything that the, the sin deserves. Sin separates us. He deserves that. And then Jesus pipes up and says, You're right. He does. But I died in his place. And he's accepted me. And the Father's wrath has now been satisfied. What an amazing advocate we have. Think about that the next time you're struggling. That you have one in your heart helping you, comforting you, convicting you, challenging you, and leading you to, 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 to do the things that he wants you to do. And then, if you don't listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and you just continue to sin, guess what happens? you got an advocate in heaven pleading with the Father on your behalf that guarantees our forgiveness, secures our restoration, and enables us to continue to serve Him. And here's what, what, what something to ponder. Our standing before God does not depend on our performance, but rather on Jesus' blood and righteousness. Don't get caught in a trap of, I got to do what's right so God loves me. Realize that he does because of his son. And realize that our standing before God will never be any better because of Jesus Christ. We are justified forever. Praise him.
And when you fail and Satan beats you up, remember you have someone in heaven in your corner. And he's pleading with the Father. And he'll handle it. Run to him. Thank him. Say, thank you, Lord, for pleading for me. Thank you for taking my punishment on the cross. Thank you for being my advocate in my corner. It's so much better than a father who beats somebody up when they mess with you. We have a Lord who's on our side. And with him, Satan is nothing. No match for us. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we just thank you so much for these two little verses that mean so much. And I pray, Lord, that throughout the day and the weeks to come, that when we fail you, not if, that we're reminded of these great truths that we have someone in our corner. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts convicting us, comforting us, and helping us to turn from our sin. We have the advocate, your son Jesus, at your right hand, pleading with us, for pleading with you, Lord, for us. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Lord, that that guarantees our forgiveness, that secures our restoration, and enables us to continue to serve you. Lord, we're guilty. And the accuser knows. And he will accuse us day and night and let us know how guilty we are. So we have to run to these verses and remember that your son satisfied your wrath. Thank you so much for sending him to die in our place. And God, I pray if there's anyone here today that maybe just knows about this and say, oh yeah, I'm thankful that Jesus died, but never personalized it, never accepted Christ, that today would be the day. <clears throat> that today they would call upon Jesus. They would say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, was buried and rose again. And I call upon him to save me. Lord, the moment we do that, we don't have to fear your wrath anymore. So God, I pray for each and every one here that, Lord, that no one would leave this room without accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. May today be the day. And Lord, help us to realize what a wonderful Savior we have. Thank you so much for the patience you have with us. And you know that Satan's after us. But thank you so much, Lord, for the advocates that we have. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thank you, Lord.